On this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we review Maryland's 2-1 series loss at Nebraska, sit down with the Terps cleanup hitter and infielder Brandon Gum, and preview the Terps' two midweek games against West Virginia and George Mason and weekend series against Big Ten rival Penn State. Hey everybody, welcome to the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Glad to have you back. Justin Galanti here with Connor Newcomb. Connor, glad to have you join us here. Yeah, thanks Justin. Thanks for having me on to talk some Maryland baseball. So Connor, the Terps went out to Lincoln this weekend, lost two of three against Nebraska, and let's get into the nitty gritty of that series. First of all, with the two losses in three games, the Terps are now 20 and 10 on the season, six and three in conference. That puts them in a tie for third place with the Michigan Wolverines. Now, Maryland took two of three from Michigan, so there's the tiebreaker for you. But right now, Minnesota is 6-0. and They were supposed to have three games this weekend against Rutgers, but travel plans canceled that series. So they remain 6-0 and and winners of 10 in a row overall. Nebraska, 4-1-1. and Maryland and Michigan, 6-3. and Purdue's 5-4. and So that's the top, oh, let's say two-fifths of the Big Ten. Those are the best squad so far and well Maryland went out to Lincoln first game was Friday night the Terps ended up losing that one three to one despite a really good effort from Brian Schaefer he went eight innings which ended up being a complete game eight hits three runs all earned but the runs were a sack fly and then kind of a bloop double down the right field line so the Terps really did get what they wanted from Schaefer yeah Schaefer pitched well on Friday I mean he continued his track record this season of being their ace Uh, he did it again as you said, got the eight-inning complete game, not something you see a lot. Uh, you know, the three runs, maybe a little unlucky to give up those three runs, but the Terps offense just didn't didn't have it on Friday night, didn't help out Schaefer, who pitched well on the mound, really gave the Terps bullpen a little bit of a break that they would need going into those Saturday and Sunday games where they had to use the bullpen a lot. But the offense wasn't there. I mean, they got it started in the ninth, but it was just a little too late. Right, so Jake Hohensee got the start for Nebraska. He was outstanding. I believe it was only one hit against him in the first eight innings. The Terps kind of scratched out a few in the ninth, got a run, had a few men on base, but they weren't able to come all the way back. So that was a 3-1 loss and kind of a waste of a good effort from Schaefer, unfortunately. But the Terps just didn't see the ball great at the plate against Hohensee. It was eight strikeouts. A couple guys who had been playing well struggled a little bit. Marty Costas had two hits, as he pretty much always does, but the other two were from Zach Jankarski and Brandon Gum, and no one else had anything. Yeah, it wasn't like the Terps were getting runners on base and just not able to capitalize. I mean, when they got that hit in the ninth, I think it was their first one since maybe the first or second inning. The first inning when yeah. Costas had one. Um, so it was a rough you know, seven-inning stretch in there where they just couldn't get anybody on base. Um, as you said, some guys didn't hit very well. Will Watson 0 for 4, Sierra 0 for 3. Danny Maynard coming off a huge game against Richmond in the midweek game, 0 for 3 after being slotted into the starting lineup. So, yeah, a lot of guys just couldn't figure out the Nebraska starting pitcher had a little trouble and uh, came back to bite the Terps. So then on Saturday, the Terps really had not a must-win game, but a game you'd really, really like to win to make sure you don't get swept on the road. And lo and behold, they do go ahead early in the game. They scored a run in the first and the second but Taylor Bloom was only able to get four outs, and they end the third inning down by a run, and you're thinking, oh, no, the Terps could be in trouble. But Ryan Hill was really the star, at least on the pitching side. He gave them a season-high four and two-thirds innings of four-hit, one-run ball, struck out five through 72 pitches, also a season-high. Hill was just outstanding and got his third win of the year. Yeah, Hill's been maybe the most reliable reliever not named Ryan Selmer in that Maryland bullpen this season. They've gone to an lot gone to him in a lot of different situations he's been able to come in kind of early like he did on Saturday also been able to pitch late but he really showed how dynamic he can be as a reliever I mean as you said Bloom an inning and a third I mean when you get you really don't want your Saturday started to only give you four outs but Ryan Hill came up came in and almost pitched a full five innings out of the bullpen which is pretty incredible for a guy who you know hasn't really been a starter this year but to only almost put up starter innings on Saturday really was the bridge to the end of the bullpen that allowed the Terps to get the lead and then hand it over to Andrew Miller and Ryan Selmer to close the door. 
we'll discuss a little bit later what implications this Saturday game had because it has some on Taylor Bloom. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And it could have some on Ryan Hill being a potential midweek starting option. But for now, just talking about this game. So pitching-wise, the unexpected large contribution was from Ryan Hill. And the big offensive contribution was unexpected as well. It came from A.J. Lee down at the bottom of the order. Three for four, two RBIs, two runs scored. He hit a big home run, also walked once. He was the star on the offensive side of the ball. And one of the big reasons Maryland won the game by a score of 8-5. Yeah, Maryland's been trying to, you know, with some different lineups to get some offense Tuesday against Richmond. They had Will Watson playing first base. Brandon Gum got to finally go over there to third to try and get some more bats in the lineup. But with A.J. Lee's performance on Saturday, as you said, three for four, um, drove in a couple runs. He's showing, you know, he's been the defensive option at third base. He's been coming in the games even when he doesn't start to play defense in the last few innings. But if the bat can pick up for A.J. Lee, and he's shown the power this year, but if the average can pick up and he can start being more of a consistent hitter it's just another option that John Chef has off the bench or AJ Lee into the starting lineup a lot more Brandon Gum had three hits in this game as well and it was close until the ninth inning when Maryland kind of broke it open with three runs highlighted by a big two-run hit by Nick Sieri who was coming off his game tying home run on Tuesday in a big comeback against Richmond and it's interesting because against Rutgers, it seemed like Justin Morris had kind of solidified himself as the Maryland starting catcher. And now it looks like they're leaning back towards Maynard and Sierra getting the bulk of the time, at least this weekend. Morris did start the game on Saturday, but got pinch hit for in the second inning, I believe it was, or maybe a little bit later than that. Uh, Might have been the fourth inning. I don't quite remember. It was the fourth inning by Danny Maynard, who came through with a big hit, but... You don't often see that too much, so maybe it's matchups. Do you think Maryland decided they needed the offense this weekend, so they went with Maynard and Sierra, whereas against Rutgers it was the defense that was more important? Yeah, it almost looks like what the Terps kind of did near the end of last season, especially in the Big Ten tournament. Justin Morris was kind of the defensive catcher, whereas Nick Sierra, it seemed like, would start games, play seven innings as his bat, and Justin Morris would come in. And Justin Morris did get a couple starts there, too, just because John Sheff seemed to want the defense in the tournament. But... You know, you said Justin Morris had maybe solidified his spot, but he's hitting under 200, I believe, on the season, not having a great year at the plate. And when Danny Maynard comes in on Tuesday and gets you four hits, hits a two-run homer, and then Nick Sieri gets the big hit uh, against Richmond as well and then has a nice weekend, you know, the catching spot is, I don't know if it's wide open, maybe a different term for it because there's three guys who all do something well for this team. So it might just be a catcher by committee or just playing the hot hand throughout the rest of the season. So then on Sunday, it was the rubber game of this series. Maryland lost 8-4. to four. A couple storylines out of this game. First of all, uh, John Sheff got ejected from the game, I believe, for arguing balls and strikes. There was, It was kind of hard to tell what it was for, but he was ejected from the game. And Marty Costas hit what John Sheff called the farthest ball he's ever seen hit at that stadium out in Nebraska. That was beyond impressive. Yeah, Costas, I mean... Obviously a loss, so not a great performance by the Terps in that 8-4 loss series lost to Nebraska on Sunday. But the the high point, obviously, was the Costas home run. I mean, it was a two-run homer, first of all, that brought him within one, so it was in a big point of the game. But he just, I mean, you don't see a lot of college players get a lot of a baseball like Marty Costas did in Nebraska on Sunday. But, I mean, absolute destruction at the plate. I mean, he's obviously was one of Maryland's scariest hitters for opposing pitchers last year. He's really become that again this year and is still a force in the middle of the lineup. Tyler Blome, the freshman left-hander, got the start for the Terps in this one, and he was okay. He pitched four and two-thirds, gave up six hits, four runs, three of them earned, and then out of the bullpen, everybody, or three consecutive guys gave up at least one earned run. Mike Racino kind of shut it down at the back end, but it ended up being an 8-4 loss. Maryland made a pitching change in the fifth inning. They went with Jared Price and he was not able to get out of a jam. Nebraska ended up scoring two runs in that inning, and Maryland never got too close after that. Costas hit the home run, but then Nebraska got two more and broke the game open. So they take two of three from the Terps into second place, and now Maryland falls into a third-place tie with Michigan, and we'll get to later uh, what Maryland has coming forward, how they can take advantage of a schedule that's not that difficult in terms of the Big Ten coming up. But at least this weekend, what were your takeaways from the two losses in three games against Nebraska? 
Well, I think one big takeaway I talked about earlier is that Ryan Hill really is maybe the most diverse pitcher in this staff. And, you know, four and two-thirds, maybe he has a chance to possibly get a spot start in the middle of the week at some point. I mean, the Terps have struggled with their midweek starters trying to find a reliable, at least one reliable guy that they can put in in the midweek and give him a good start. Um, but Hill showed on Saturday that he has the length. You know, out of your midweek starters in college baseball, you know, you don't need seven, eight innings like you might need out of a Brian Schaefer on a Friday. But if you have a guy like Ryan Hill who can give you four and two-thirds, one run on a Tuesday game, you know, that's setting you up well to get a win during the midweek. And then also, I mean, it showed that this team – Despite the two losses, they have a lot of guys who can get hot, as we talked about. A.J. Lee got hot at the right time. Um, a couple guys didn't hit so well this weekend but have been hitting well, like Danny Maynard, Nick Sieri didn't, you know, had a couple, had an O for this weekend. But it shows that up and down the Maryland lineup, they have a lot of guys that can hit. They just got to figure out where the best place is for everyone defensively, I think. And I, and I think it's a mistake on our part. We haven't even mentioned this. Kevin Smith did not play at all this week, so that's certainly a factor that goes into it. And looking – far down the road into the rest of the season, Kevin Smith not playing doesn't factor into RPI, where Maryland is now sitting at 32, I believe. But it does factor into a committee's mindset where they say, okay, Maryland took one on the road against a very good Nebraska team without a guy who was a preseason All-American. I don't think this was a bad weekend for Maryland. Jake and I were talking about this last week on the podcast where you want to get at least one from Nebraska, and you're not, let's say, happy with that, but you're not overly disappointed. I don't think Maryland's too upset about what happened this weekend in Lincoln, especially without Smith. They blew a good start from Schaefer, frankly, on Friday, but they still like the role he's on. And then on Saturday, you mentioned it, it proved the depth of this team that they can win a game on the road against a really good team on the back of A.J. Lee and Ryan Hill, who are are good players but haven't been the main contributors this year yeah it was it was interesting over the weekend that out of their three starting pitchers really the one who gave them the worst start is the game where they got the victory was bloom on saturday getting just those four outs and struggling but as we said ryan hill came in and had a great performance but yeah i mean even with the loss friday i mean you're not happy with the offense but teams have bad games you're still happy with the start brian schaefer gives you Eight innings, three runs, that's a good start any day. Um, and so you have to be happy, even, as you said, with just the one win on the weekend. You're obviously without Kevin Smith, so you're not still not at full strength right now. Um, but the Terps, I think, played well in Nebraska. It's a tough place to play. They have a nice stadium, a big crowd. All three days kind of helped Nebraska a little bit. Um, but the one win, win was big to get that win with such a, you know, really a disappointing start from Taylor Bloom. Nebraska started two righties and a lefty in the series, but Madison Nickens, who had been the starting left fielder for quite a while, did not get any starts in the series. It was Will Watson out and left, A.J. Lee back in third. And the real reason for that, I guess, was that John Sheff and Rob Vaughn wanted Maynard in the lineup this weekend. But any takeaways from that? Nickens had been struggling a little bit, but he's a huge threat on the bases, and he's a very solid left fielder. Yeah, Nickens had been struggling. I think something like two hits in his last 20 at-bats right around there. Um, so it hasn't been a great couple of weeks for Madison Nickens. I think the other thing was they tried something out on Tuesday with Will Watson playing first base, Brandon Gum playing third, trying to get these guys into the lineup um, with Madison, Madison Nickens obviously out in left field. Danny Maynard was the DH. Um, they obviously wanted to get Maynard into the game again after the great game he had, but Watson really struggled defensively at first base. I mean, he had a tough day. He got a lot of throws in the dirt, but couldn't really pick any of them out. And then Brandon Gum had a couple. You know, he played a solid defensive game at third, but he had a couple throws that went awry. So I think the better defensive lineup ends up with Will Watson in the outfield. Um, and if he's bringing more of the bat than Madison Nickens, I think Nickens just comes off the bench until he can get hot again. And it's really a whole different ball game if Kevin Smith is back in this lineup. It lengthens it a little bit where maybe you can afford to take away some offense where you couldn't do so if Smith's in the lineup. So we have no idea. It's just speculation. But if Smith's back in there, maybe that lets you keep Lee at third base. Maybe that lets you put Morris back behind the plate if defense is what you want to go with. And in his history here at Maryland, John Sheff, when push comes to shove, prefers a defense-first lineup. Yeah, and I think, as I said before, he proved that last year with a lot of Justin Morris playing time. He's proved it so far this year. Justin Morris has gotten a lot of starts behind the plate, you know, still struggling a little bit at the dish, but he's been their best defensive catcher, and I think that's 
more important right now maybe to John Sheff. And um, as you can see with Pat Heisel playing as well, I mean, he doesn't give you the best bat off the bench, but Sheff believes he gives him the best glove. So he's getting the start at shortstop as Kevin Smith is out. Do you find it interesting at all that Heisel has gotten every start at short since Smith got hurt? where A.J. Lee, the third baseman, is a natural shortstop, and the Terps very well could have moved Lee to short and gone with someone like Kevin Biondic at third base. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, with the defense Lee gives at third, and you're saying he's a natural shortstop, he should be able to give almost that amount of defense, if not more, at shortstop. Um, he might be going with the seniority, with Pat Heisel being a senior. You know, he's been around with this team back when they went to the regionals two years ago and three years ago. He was with this team. He's you know, knows what it takes down the stretch, and maybe it's just trust in his senior. You know, he's gotten a couple of couple of big hits so far since he's been inserted into the starting lineup, but it is interesting. I think it also has to do with Kevin Biondic's bat. I mean, Biondic is obviously a great fielder at third and at first, but has really, really struggled with the bat this year. So even though Heisel hasn't had many at-bats, maybe Chef thought he could give a little bit more at the plate. Well, one guy who has not struggled with the bat this year is graduate senior transfer Brandon Gum. Came over from George Mason, and we had a chance to sit down with Brandon and discuss his season so far at Maryland and the trip Maryland will be making on Wednesday to his old school, George Mason University. Brandon, thanks for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. So you are here in year one of one on the Maryland baseball team. How are you enjoying your time so far? Uh, I'm loving it. It's a, it's a lot different. Um, obviously spending four years somewhere else. Uh, it's nice to come here and start have a great start to the season so enjoying it so the graduate transfer process has become pretty popular in football and basketball among common fans they kind of know about it a little bit and it seems to an extent like free agency but could you tell us a little bit about what that process was like for you uh it was kind of just like being recruited a second time um pretty much what chef chef made the comment that uh it's, it's kind of like running a player for a year because that's, I mean, you're just getting a player for a year. You know what you're getting. And, uh, I mean, it was just – it was fun. You know, I've, I feel like I was recruited more heavily the second time than the first time. So, it was kind of kind of nice to be able to – it was like like I'd proven myself in college baseball. So, it was cool. So, you got hurt your senior year at George Mason. Was there a point where you started thinking, okay, I want to go somewhere else for one more year as opposed to trying and get the red shirt and stay at George Mason? Yeah, I mean, it was all it was kind of a back and forth thing. Um, one of the biggest decisions was that I wanted to go somewhere to that I'd, I'd have a chance to go deep into the postseason again, and um, I felt like this was definitely the a good fit for that with the past history of the two super regionals and stuff. So this was a uh, this was definitely my uh, my number one choice. How did you first get in contact with Maryland? Was it with Coach Chef? Was it while you were still at George Mason? Maybe over the summer or something like that? Uh, no, it was, it was definitely after I had, uh, gotten my transfer, uh, or got my release and, uh, whatever, I was allowed to talk to other coaches and stuff. Um, a friend that knew, uh, coach Swope. So that, uh, that kind of just kicked it off from there. And then my summer coach sends a lot of, uh, or a lot of people get sent to the big train. So he, he knows chef pretty well. I think they talked a couple of times. So it's kind of how they, they figured it out. So you came here. What were your first impressions? I'm sure I'm sure Maryland is a lot bigger than George Mason. It's you know the Big Ten versus the A10 and what was previously the Colonial, I believe. So, mm -hmm. what were your not even baseball wise, but what were your first impressions stepping on campus here? Uh, I mean, first impressions was like, yeah, it's definitely big. I'm living in the varsity, and then all my schools or all my classes are in the business school. It's like a mile walk every day. So obviously that's a lot different than than at Mason, but um, it was. It was, it was different. Mason has a lot of commuters. So, this school, I mean, this school has a decent amount, I believe, but nowhere near like the 20,000, 30,000 that Mason has. So just a lot more people on campus. Was there a transition period? I mean, you spent four years at another school. I, I also transferred, not a graduate transfer, and I don't play baseball, but I transferred, and it took me a while to say, okay, I'm really here at Maryland. How long did it take you to realize, okay, I'm a student here now? I mean, you know, I'm pursuing a graduate degree. I'm on a new team. I'm in a new place after four years. Yeah, I mean, it was it it was a quick transition. I feel like, um, you know, I graduate school actually starts before uh, normal classes, so I was on campus and taking classes before everybody got here, 
And uh, I think when it like finally like kind of hit me that this was a new place I was here, you know, this is where I'm going to be for the year was the conditioning test that we had in the fall. Cause that was, uh, that wasn't, wasn't the funnest thing I've ever had to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, we just get through it as a team and that's kind of, kind of just helps build that camaraderie of everybody. So when you started fall ball and baseball, did you feel like a freshman again? Did you feel like you were older than everyone? Was it weird? You know, you're kind of the oldest guy on the team, but also a first year. Yeah, it was, it was definitely weird. Cause it's, it's weird when like in my situation, nobody really knowing what they have, you know, it like all I could do was really just feel ground balls. I couldn't swing, couldn't throw. So it was, it was weird. Nobody really knew exactly, you know, whether I could play or not. It's hard. All I could see me do was field a ground ball and on turf. That's not, not exactly the hardest <laughs> thing to do. So was there any point between your injury coming here, fall ball, things like that, where there was any chance you wouldn't even be able to play very much this year because of your injury? Uh, no, I think that I was, well, I would, I'm not going to term it lucky enough, but I got hurt early enough in last year's season to where, you know, the the recovery process, uh, it was a pretty good timetable um, before the season started. So there was a little leeway there for, you know, minor setbacks and stuff. I mean, barring a major setback, I was pretty, pretty sure that I was going to be good to go. So I've talked to some of the guys on the team and other writers here and broadcasters at MBN have talked to them, and they've said you've really taken on a leadership role. When did that start to take shape? Uh, I think when I started hitting finally, and I could <laughs> <laughs> I could hit with people and stuff. And you you know you can a lot of a lot of bonds are formed like in the cage. Like that that's when you know you go to work with with your guys and stuff and. I say something about somebody's swing, and they, you know, they help me. And I, I mean, I feel like that's when, that's when stuff starts clicking. You feel like you can like actually say stuff to guys and try and help them out. Have you had to increase your leadership role over these last couple weeks without Kevin Smith? He's been down with the shoulder injury. Yeah, I mean, I feel like everybody kind of has to because it's he's whether he's playing well or not. Obviously, he's defensively he's a, a wizard out there, but his presence you just feel you just feel his presence out there and you know if something's going bad he's always the first person to go in slow the game down talk to the pitcher so you know guy we, we definitely have to have to step up without without him being out there to lead us on the field so let's go back to George Mason for a moment you had a really solid career but one thing you didn't do was hit cleanup that's what you're doing here at Maryland take me back to the moment when the coaching staff told you all right Brandon you're our four hitter this year uh well it actually wasn't even them I uh I didn't know I was playing against Louisville and Alex Barkley one of my roommates came up to me and said hey you're playing today you're playing first I was like, all right cool and he goes and you're hitting fourth and I just looked at him and said fourth <laughs> he was like yeah I was like okay this this might be a little interesting um I mean I just kind of ran with it obviously I'm not your prototypical four hitter um even coach Fecto made a joke on the plane I'm the skinniest four hitter in the country <laughs> so but you know I mean it's kind of all just about driving in runs when you when you get the chance you don't always have to drive yourself in so has there been a different approach at the plate since you've been the cleanup hitter do you think differently maybe with men on base you're saying as you kind of mentioned I'm going to drive them in as opposed to move them over and things like that yeah I mean well even at Mason, my approach is always if somebody's in scoring position, I'm trying to drive them in, you know. Um, I mean, unless there's a guy on third with less than two outs. So you can pretty much score him if you stay in the middle of the field. But, yeah, I mean, definitely definitely looking to drive balls more. I mean, it's not like I'm trying to launch the ball out of the park. I'll leave I'll leave that for Marty. He can, he can do that a lot better than I can. So it's the uh, same approach, just trying to drive guys in. Well, I was about to ask about that. What it, what has it been like hitting behind Marty Costas this year? I mean, he's been outstanding. He's on base for you all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. I, I, I joke with him. I say, you need to get hits because it seems like every time he does, I get one behind him. So, you know, it's – I mean, it. he puts a lot of pressure on the pitchers and the fact that, you know, if he makes – if you make a mistake, he's going to he's gonna hurt you. So he's, he's putting himself in scoring position a lot for me. That ball he hit against Nebraska on Sunday, was that one of the farthest balls you've ever seen hit in a college game? I mean, you've been around a while. Yeah, that was that was something special. The only thing I can compare it to is Ohio State's three-hitter hit one off a light pole in a spring training complex that that uh, I think shook the whole stadium. But, yeah, that, that ball was absolutely touched. And you've, you mentioned it, but 
I've noticed a number of times this year after Marty has a really good at-bat or a double or home run, something like that, you've come up and swung at the first pitch and gotten a base hit right off the back of it. Is that something you do consciously where you're saying, okay, maybe the pitcher gets lazy or something like that after a long at-bat? No, it's, I mean, obviously, you know, you, if, especially when Marty hits a home run, the pitcher's just looking to get back into back ahead of the hitter and stuff. So usually it's going to be a fastball over the middle of the plate. Not many guys are – and taking a long at bat and then then trying to spin something to get you to chase. So I mean it's it's more or less just pitcher tendency more than than looking to hit something right after Marty does. Now one thing you do different as a four hitter other than not hitting so many home runs is you steal a lot of bases and that's been a concerted effort by the entire team. They've far surpassed last year's total that happened about a month ago during the series against mm -hmm. Bryant. Do you enjoy that kind of having the green light on the bases? Oh yeah, that's that's one of the other than hitting a home run. That's one of the funnest things to do in baseball is steal a base. I feel like, especially stealing third, because I mean you're just going right in the pitcher's face, and the catcher's got the shortest throw. So I mean that that's just fun right there. <laughs> you gotta love that. Let's talk about your two home runs for a minute. Fit two this year, and I don't know if you know this, but I was actually on play by play for both of them. And then another stat we have is that. When I've done games this year, you guys are 8-0, and every one of your losses has come with Jake Eisenberg on the call. Well, so I guess we got to make a change. Right. Huh? That's I'm going to be on the call the next three weekends. But <laughs> any any thoughts about that? Maybe make sure I'm there when you're up at the plate, something like that? Yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't know. Uh, we get, get Coach Chef on board with this. I'll be there all the time. <laughs> all right. Well, one thing you've also done different this year is you've played a new position. Kind of a shortstop at George Mason, always an infielder, but now – you're playing first base for the most part. Last week, you got to start at third base, but has there been a transition to the new position? Because I think a lot of casual baseball fans say, all right, let's put the big slow guy at first base who can't do anything. You're clearly a very athletic person, but you've just had some arm trouble. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a an, there was definitely an adjustment period. Um, I was lucky. Luckily, I played a lot of first during uh, spring inter squads before we started, so it wasn't like I was just – thrown out there and said I'd play third base all year and just been like yeah go play first so I think the coaches did a great job of getting me prepared to play there and uh felt somewhat comfortable there for the most part especially lately so I'm just enjoying it out there I guess <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely different though another thing that's different about being at Maryland as board as opposed to George Mason is you're playing in the Big Ten now and that comes with a lot of things theoretically stiffer competition week in week out also, there's more publicity. People know who you are now. I mean, Saturday's game was on national television. That's got to be pretty cool. What are some differences you've noticed playing in the Big Ten as opposed to what was, I believe, the Colonial and then the Atlantic Ten while you were at yeah. George Mason? Um, I mean, it's definitely better competition. Um, the biggest thing is the arms. You know, in the Atlantic Ten, um, you got guys like you'll face a decent starter every weekend maybe one or two guys out of the pen, but you don't see many guys in, in that conference running out there, you know, 93, 95, when almost every team in the in the Big Ten has one, if not three or four. So, I mean, the biggest difference is definitely the arms. I've always thought that in college baseball, what separates, let's say, a Big Ten team and an Atlantic Ten team is not Friday night, but it's Saturday and Sunday. Do you think that's a fair yeah, assessment? for sure. I mean, uh, there, are some, there are some, you know, Friday night guys in the Atlantic Ten I faced that, you could run out here, and, and they they definitely compete against our lineup, which I think we have a really good lineup. But, um, yeah, Friday – I mean, Saturday and Sunday, usually, you know, you're, you're decreasing a lot of velo, a lot of command. Let's talk about the past weekend at Nebraska. Started off on Friday. Brian Schaefer threw the ball really well, like he always does. But Hohensee on the mound for them kind of shut you guys down until the ninth inning where you started to fight back. But what was he doing that was so effective? I think he was just pitching a contact. I mean, I don't think many guys saw too many pitches that day. Um, I mean, he was just throwing his fastball over the plate, and we were just we were just missing it. He was just missing barrels. Um, I didn't think he was doing anything really special. I mean, he was commanding the zone, putting the – I mean, he was throwing strikes, so he was just doing what he had to do to get us out. Then on Saturday, you guys got the win, and in large part due to some great offense from A.J. Lee and outstanding relief work from Ryan Hill – First, talk about how big those two guys were, and then also how big is it to get a Saturday win after a Friday loss to know that you won't get swept on the road? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, A.J. did a heck of a job. I mean, that home run, that just kind of sparked us. I mean, that ball was hit very well and pretty much a no-doubter off the bat as well. He just 
hit it to the wrong part of the park. But uh, I mean, he did he did a great job all day. Um, and Hill was Hill was phenomenal. That was that was a great. That's a tough job to do as a reliever. Come out there and just shut the game down like that. Um, and it's big to get a win on Saturday after losing Friday because you're not you're not as pressured. You know you have a chance to come out and win the series, um, which unfortunately we didn't do. But yeah, it's 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 big to get that win. So now with the two losses in three games to Nebraska, you guys sit in a tie for third in the Big Ten behind Minnesota, who's six and zero. They were idle this weekend because of some travel issues. Never got to play Rutgers. All three games canceled. Frankly, I think they're probably disappointed about that. Um, but now you have two home series in a row. Penn State this weekend, Michigan State the following weekend, two teams in the bottom half of the conference. So is the goal 6-0 and in those six games? I yeah. mean, I, I know you want to win every game, but sometimes you want sweeps, sometimes you want two out of three. Uh, you know, I would say the Michigan series, for example, they're a really good team. They're top 25, so you're all right with two out of three. But is this a spot where you guys really think six wins is doable? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely doable. I think when you're going into a weekend series, you're always looking for the sweep. Um, that I mean, that's how you win. That's how you win the conference for sure. But uh, yeah, I think when you're going into teams that have kind of struggled recently, you're definitely looking to to push the envelope and definitely get two sweeps back to back here. Between that, you come back home now. You guys have been a dominant team at home this season, and one of the reasons that really became apparent in the last week, I guess, was a squirrel that runs across the field. That's crumbs. Can you tell our listeners the story of crumbs? Yeah, I mean, I guess I was in the box. I didn't even notice it. Um, crumbs just happens to be there all the time. He eats all of our food and stuff. I guess he uh, he sparked our rally, and then Hill decided he was going to bring a stuffed squirrel to the game. <laughs> so he sent that that thing sits up on the in the dugout all all game. So it's gotten interesting. All right. Well. Everyone's getting excited about the squirrel, Marty. I don't. Did you see Marty's interview on no, BTN? I, didn't. Mar I heard it was a lot about the squirrel, though. It's something you should watch. I mean, Mike Hall, I believe it was, interviewed him. It was eight minutes, and I would say seven forty-five about the squirrel and about <laughs> fifteen about how Marty's been playing this year. But it was interesting. Before Penn State this weekend, you have a couple of midweeks at home against West Virginia, and then on Wednesday you're going back to George Mason. What are the emotions involved with that? Uh, I mean, not looking too much into it. It's just, I mean, it's a weekday game. Just want to get a win. It's not like I'm really, like, up or down about going back. Just kind of looking forward to getting over with, hopefully getting a win and, and getting ready for the weekend. More specifically into midweek games, you guys haven't struggled record-wise, but you've made a habit of falling very far behind and then making these miraculous comebacks. That was kind of highlighted last week against Richmond where Sierra ended up hitting the game-tying home run in the eighth, and then Jankarski won it with the RBI single. Is there a conscious thought, I guess, in your head going into midweek games where you say, okay, we're going to have to score some more runs today, boys? Uh, no, not necessarily. I mean, obviously, when it comes down to it, you just got to score more runs than they do. And we've – I mean, I don't think we necessarily pitched bad last week. We uh, d definitely did not help defensively, that's for sure. Um, so – I mean, I don't know how many were unearned. I know that I know it was quite a bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, whether we get a great start or poor start, we just got to go out there and, uh, and hit the ball hit and score more than they do. All right, Brandon. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on the NBN Podcast. Good luck this week. Have a good time back at your old home at George Mason. But rest assured, everybody in College Park is glad to have you here for this season. Thanks for having me. Special thanks to Maryland infielder and cleanup hitter Brandon Gum for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And, Connor, now let's preview what's coming up this week for the Terps. It will start on Tuesday here at Bob Terrell Smith Stadium in College Park with a big matchup against West Virginia, a top 25 team in the RPI, 19-11, 6-3 in the Big 12, and a big opportunity for the Terps to get a win. Yeah, it's a team they pretty much play every year. Kind of a familiar opponent for the Terps, although it's usually just a one or two games against them every year. But, you know, West Virginia plays in a tough Big 12, and they're coming into this game coming off a 7-2 to loss on Sunday against Kansas. But before that loss, six wins in a row for West Virginia before they lost that game to the Jayhawks but still won that series. So they're coming in hot to College Park to take on the Terps on Tuesday. Interesting storyline here. And first of all, baffles me that this is a Big Ten against Big 12 matchup. This should be ACC Big East, but 
There's no Big East anymore in baseball. Is there a Big East? There is a Big East, but it's not the real Big East it's, in baseball. It's, it's a fake Big East. Yeah, it's like get, cr- get with Creighton, the new conferences, Justin. Creighton's in the Big East, but all right. So we got Big 12 against Big 10 here, and Maryland has decided that after only getting four outs on Saturday and not throwing too many pitches, they want Taylor Bloom to start the game on Tuesday and try and get some work in. He's only gone a combined five and a third innings in his last two starts, so they're hoping Taylor can get back on track on Tuesday. Yeah, he's on one hand fresh enough to go Tuesday after only throwing that inning and a third on Saturday. On the other hand, the Terps just still struggling to find that consistent midweek starter. And they're going to go to Bloom here because, you know, West Virginia is a good team. As you said, 19-11, they play in a tough conference. Um, This is going to be an important win for Maryland's RPI and just for their record going forward, you know, even though it's not a Big Ten conference game. So you go to one of your weekend starters on Tuesday who – you know, he obviously didn't have the start he wanted on Saturday against Nebraska, but he'll look to bounce back against West Virginia and give the Terps a good start and hopefully for them give some depth in his start, maybe go into the sixth or the seventh inning so they don't have to tax that bullpen as much as they have the past few games. The Mountaineers have had some very notable results this year. First of all, they took two games against defending national champion Coastal Carolina by a combined score of 26-10. to 10. They also took two of three on the road against then number 10 Baylor, and they took two of three on the road against then number 23 Oklahoma State. So these Mountaineers are a very formidable opponent and a team you would expect to be in the NCAA tournament. And another thing about them, they're playing a top 10 team coming up this weekend in TCU. So they're going to be focused on Maryland, I think, but there is a kind of a chance of the overlooking factor. They'll head back to Morgantown for that weekend series with the Horn Frogs, which is obviously huge for them. Yeah, when you're when you're playing in the Big Twelve, uh, you're looking for your your series that you're looking forward to the most in the regular season is that home series with TCU. I mean, they're pretty much for years have been the top team in the Big Twelve. Um, but West Virginia, you know, maybe they could o- overlook a game against Maryland. I mean, for both teams, these are kind of evenly matched teams, records pretty close to each other. Um, two teams that project to, at this point, get into the NCAA tournament and are looking for a big win in a midweek game to kind of propel their RPI and give them better standing with the committee. But, you know, if you're West Virginia, you don't want to look forward quite yet to TCU because you have a big game coming up with the Terps. And on the mound for West Virginia in this one will be Alec Manoa, who has been really good this season. He's made one start, ten appearances. He has two saves in 11 and two-thirds innings. And an ERA, get this, 0.77, so a tough test for the Terps. Yeah, it seems like really has been a reliever all season, has Manoa. The one start, as you said, but 10 appearances, 11 and two-thirds innings shows me that he's maybe been the closer for West Virginia if they have a closer. Uh, He has the most saves on the team, but just with two. Um, You know, he's had a lot of relief experience this season, has obviously had a lot of success. The one stat that really stands out, for Manoa is the .77 ERA, but also nine strikeouts to just seven walks. So right there, you're looking at a guy who maybe doesn't have all of his success with swing and misses. Maybe he's getting a lot of good contact, a lot of soft contact, and maybe he's gotten a little lucky to get his ERA where it is. You don't see a lot of guys who have almost a one-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio that have such a good ERA. Right, so the Terps will have that game on Tuesday. We know Taylor Bloom will be starting Wednesday, we don't know who will be starting. The Terps will go on the road and play George Mason. And before we talk about that start, we just heard from Brandon Gauman. He didn't have too much to say about returning to George Mason. He said he was going to keep it calm, approach it like any other game. But you would think there's some emotion involved going back a place you spent four years, seeing some old teammates and coaches and things like that. Yeah, when you spent pretty much an entire college career at one school there's going to be some emotion going back to play against them and not for them and especially kind of how his career ended at George Mason with an injury is how he went out and then came to Maryland this year um you know it's going to be emotional he'll obviously have a lot of good relationships as you said with the players with the coaches um so it'll be a big game for Brandon Gumman is I'm sure he wanted to downplay it but um you know it'll be obviously something on his mind on the team's mind as they head to George Mason now, Maryland has struggled a lot in the midweek, and I said this to Brandon, not so much in terms of record, but in terms of the starts they're getting from pitchers and then they're falling behind by a lot, have to make these big comebacks. They would obviously like to not do that um, and have some more comfortable wins. 
so far this season, they've had Hunter Parsons start. They've had John Murphy start, Taylor Styles, Mike Racino. Uh, am, I, am I missing someone? Cameron, Cameron Ank. Ank. He also started. Who do you think they go to on Wednesday? Do you think they go back to a guy like Parsons, maybe give Hill a shot, something like that? I think Hunter Parsons would make the most sense. I mean, I don't think he appeared in a game over the weekend against Nebraska. Um, he hasn't made a lot of lengthy appearances lately. I mean, he's really been coming in and almost kind of maybe not this isn't his role, but it seems like he's been coming in a little bit of mop-up duty, whether it's good or bad. I know he closed out a game weekend before Nebraska. He closed out a game with one inning up at Rutgers, I believe, um, just with an 8-1 lead, I think, in the ninth inning. Just got a nice clean inning of work. But it seems like Har or Hunter Parsons would make sense. He's made a couple of midweek starts. They didn't go as planned, obviously. He was in the conversation to get that Sunday starter job, but it went to Blome instead, and he was kind of slated as that first midweek starter. But he had some success last year as a starting pitcher. The Terps are looking for a lot of things from him this year. So I think it would make sense to give him another shot on Wednesday. This has been something that's been talked about quite a bit on the podcast, and I've been a big proponent of this. I think if the Terps are going to go the places they want to this season, Hunter Parsons is going to make an impact. Do you think that's the case? I think that's fair because he was, you know, a solid part of their rotation last year. I mean, he pitched in the Big Ten tournament. He had, you know, was a big part of the team, and I think he needs to be that number four starter this year that they can go to pretty much in every, maybe not every midweek game, but you can rely on in a midweek game to give you a good enough start where your offense can get the job done. And that just hasn't been the case for any of these midweek starters yet this year. But I think maybe not this team will go as Hunter Parsons goes, but it's going to be big for them if he can turn it around this year. So George Mason will enter this game with a 12-20 and 20 record, 3-3 three and three in the Atlantic 10 so far. And when you play in the Big Ten, Connor, which is a big conference but not that strong overall in terms of baseball, RPI is important, especially if you are not going to win the Big Ten tournament and get that automatic bid. And really, beating West Virginia at home would be a nice win because the Mountaineers are probably a tournament team, arguably a top 25 team and all that. But I think the more important game is, frankly, George Mason because a loss to the Patriots, who are eight games under 500, would really hurt your RPI and be a bad loss. And that's one of the reasons Maryland didn't get into the tournament last year. They had too many bad losses to that offset the wrong way their good wins that they had. So you look at this year, if you lose to West Virginia, you lose to West Virginia, but they can't lose to George Mason. Yeah, it would be a bad loss, and obviously, as you said, the RPI is, um, you know, it's important for getting into the tournament. It's not something you want to have happen to you as a bad loss to a team like George Mason at 12-20. and 20. They've played a little better since conference play started, 3-3, three and three, going 500 in conference play. Um, at 7-11 at home, so a little bit better of a home team than a road team, but at this point, it really doesn't matter. Maryland has to go and get the job done. Right now, they're really, as according to the rankings of to the rankings, excuse me, a fringe top 25 team just fell out of the rankings this week, but a team that should be able to make the tournament the last couple of projections looking maybe like a two seed in a regional right now, and this is a game they really have to win. As you talked about, you know, the West Virginia win would be big, but it's not the end of the world if they lose to a team that's even if not better than them, but they have to beat George Mason and George Mason in Fairfax. And I think that was the case with the series in Nebraska. You would have liked to win two or even three, but you got one game and losing two, but picking up one win is not the end of the world on the road against what right now is the second best team in your conference. Yeah, I mean, Nebraska's playing well. They've you know been one of the better teams in the Big Ten over the past five, ten years, and they showed that again over the weekend, that they have some pitchers that can really dominate you. They have a good lineup and it was good for Maryland to get that one win. And now, you know, you look, if you're going to get just one of three against Nebraska, then you got to get the job done against a team like George Mason and going forward against some weaker Big Ten opponents. Right. So Maryland now enters a softer part of the Big Ten schedule after beginning the season, or at least the conference, conference season, with Michigan, really good team. Then Rutgers, a softer team. And then this Nebraska team, who's also quite good, they now play Penn State this weekend, and the Nittany Lions are 11-19, and 1-5 and in the conference. The Terps took two of three uh, in Happy Valley last year against the Nittany Lions. The 1-5 Penn State has gotten to 
was on the road against Michigan. Michigan, they were pretty much non-competitive. They gave up 39 runs in three games and only scored nine. And then this weekend against Ohio State, won the first game of the series and then lost the last two, outscored 16-4. to So this is something that we discussed on the podcast a lot after the Michigan series. Maryland got two of three from the Wolverines at home. And then they were going to Rutgers, and we said, if Maryland's as good as we think they are and they think they are, you sweep Rutgers. Now after losing two of three to Nebraska, it's the same case. If the Terps are going to be an NCAA tournament team, going to potentially get an at-large bid if they need it and be a two-seed in a regional, as people are projecting, and all that good stuff, they sweep Penn State. Yeah, I think it's just something they have to get done. As you said, Penn State at 11-19, and 1-5 and five in the Big Ten. Uh, just two players in their lineup right now hitting over 300. Um, they're having a – they're kind of struggling at the plate right now, hitting only 229 as a team. So that's something Maryland's weekend rotation really has to take advantage of, which will start with Brian Schaefer on Friday. He'll probably go up against Sal Biasi for Penn State, who has a 415 ERA and eight starts. But Maryland – should look to, on paper, really win all three starting pitching matchups this weekend and looks to have, again, on paper, the better lineup. So it's just like going into that Rutgers series. If they want to prove to the committee they deserve to be solidly into the tournament, then this is a series that you got to look to get at the very least two, and you're looking for a sweep. Last year when this series was at Penn State, there was some rain, so it ended up being one game Saturday, two on Sunday. Maryland's Friday night guy this year, Brian Schaefer, pitched the second Sunday game last year went seven innings, four hits, two runs, one earned, seven Ks, no walks, and got the win. That was against Justin Hagenman, who figures to get the Saturday start for Penn State this year. You mentioned Sal Biasi. He pitched against Taylor Bloom in the first game on Sunday last year, and Biasi got the win. He went five and two-thirds scoreless, but Bloom actually pitched one of those eight-inning complete games. It was a 2-0 loss. He gave up nine hits and two earned runs. But both teams have pitchers who are very familiar with the opponent. Yeah, I think that happens a lot in the Big Ten. Just you get guys that have pitched against – in most conferences, you get guys that stay around for four years and pitch against lineups a lot. But, you know, I think it will be important for Maryland to get another good start out of Brian Schaefer. I mean, even though he ended up with the loss, we may not have time to get into wins and losses for pitchers on this edition you don't of the like Maryland him? Baseball Network podcast. Not a fan. Can't no? say I'm a fan of the win-loss record Here, for Here's pitchers. something I'll say, and I believe it was Ryan Hill who said this on the podcast. As outside observers now, we can say how dumb wins are, but as a pitcher, it still means something to get the W next to your name, and it means even more to have an L next to your name. I mean, in my college career, which was not long, um, I think it was eight appearances. I ended up third on the team in ERA, but I was 0-2, and the 0-2 bothered me more than the good ERA made me feel good. I mean, I understand the sentiment. I think in a, if you look at the major leagues, a lot of contracts have win clauses in them. If you hit 20 wins or you hit 15 wins, you get an extra pay bonus. But if you're looking to just rate the performance of a pitcher, I mean, it really has nothing to do with them. No, that. I mean, that's fair. I, uh, I Blom's got more wins than Schaefer this year, yeah. and look, Blom's been great, but Schaefer's been out of this world. Yeah, and I mean, I guess for a pitcher, you don't want to see, you know, the record is still going to show up in people's stats. I think that's probably what where the pitchers are coming from. It doesn't matter maybe how much it really matters on, you know, to how good of a pitcher they are, but it's going to show up in their stat book when they look online at their stats for the season, and they obviously don't want to see a losing record if it's going to be there and it's the first stat you see on the right. stat line. You want to see a winning record. But really, if you watch the games, if you dive deeper into the numbers, you know, if Brian Schaefer were to somehow end up with, you know, a couple starts where he went eight innings and got the loss, you watch the games, you look at the other stats, you know he's still pitching well. Right, and Brian Schaefer threw very well on Friday. He'll look to do the same again on Friday night here in College Park. And it's cool. It's another Friday night game as opposed to Friday afternoon game. So something fun for the guys. Those will be 6 o'clock on Friday, 3 o'clock on Saturday, 1 o'clock on Sunday, barring any weather issues, which is something worth saying. I haven't checked the weather for the weekend yet. I don't know if you have, but it's been a problem of late, and there have been a couple doubleheaders already this year. But let's all cross our fingers and hope there's good weather for the Terps and the Nittany Lions as they play this weekend. 
And then the following weekend, Maryland gets Michigan State, and we'll talk about this next week, but Michigan State's also just 500 in the Big Ten so far, 3-3. Three and three. That series will be here again. So I talked about this with Brandon, you heard it, but a big opportunity for Maryland to get six wins, and it starts this weekend with Penn State. Yeah, you want to start climbing up the Big Ten standings when you play, you know, against some of the weaker competition, obviously Michigan and Nebraska. With Rutgers in between, they got the job done with the three team with the three wins in Piscataway. But Michigan and Nebraska are two of the top teams in the Big Ten and they got three out of six against those two teams. But now when you're playing the weaker competition, starting with Penn State and then going on to Michigan State, you want to rack up as many wins as you can to get higher up in the Big Ten standings. You know, Maryland's goal this year, I'm sure, is to win the Big Ten regular season and I'm sure the conference tournament as well. And it's not out of reach for this Terps team. I mean, they've played well so far. Maybe would have helped to get two out of three against Nebraska, but they still have a definite shot at this Big Ten title with much of the Big Ten season to go. And to get that title, I mean, the teams that win, they got to really beat up on the lower competition in the conference. They do have a shot, but one thing worth mentioning is that Minnesota, who's 6-0, and first place in the conference right now, drew an incredibly favorable schedule. They get Nebraska at home. No Michigan and no Maryland this season. So even if Minnesota is not necessarily the best team, they might have the inside track for the regular season title. Yeah, and which is why maybe the even if you can't win the regular season title, you get in the tournament, then everybody's got to play almost everybody. And you, know, you can see who's really maybe the most talented team or sometimes just the hottest team in the Big Ten at the end of the season. Well... Before we can get to that point, Maryland will have a few games this week and continue playing on until we move to Bloomington at the end of the year for the Big Ten Tournament and for the Terps, hopefully, the NCAA Tournament. We thank you for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. If you like what you heard, and Jake always says this, if you're still listening at this point, I venture you do, you can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to podcasts and search Maryland Baseball Network. Follow us on Twitter, at MDBaseballNet. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash mdbaseballnet. Special thanks to our entire MBN staff, my partner Connor Newcomb, and our guest today, Brandon Gum. This week, the Terps Tuesday will be here in College Park, Tuesday at 4 o'clock against West Virginia. Pre-game will start at 3.30. Then on Wednesday, the Terps will travel to George Mason. 3 o'clock game, Connor Newcomb will be on the call starting at 2.30 with pre-game. And then over the weekend, the Terps will host the Penn State Nittany Lions. Thanks again for joining us, everybody, and so long. Hey, hey,